0: السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل من قولي ربنا علما Let's begin our lesson inshallah Surah Al-Baqarah we we'll begin from ayah number 200 فَإِذَا قَضَيْتُمْ مَنَاسِكَكُمْ Then when you have completed your rituals, فَاذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ Then you all should remember Allah. After completing the rituals of Hajj, then you must remember Allah. So far, in these verses we have learned about what? What stages of Hajj? The first few, which are in particular going to Mina, then Arafat, and then from there to Muzdalifah, and then back to Minah. Now when the pilgrims return to Mina, when they come back to Mina, on the third day of Hajj, which is the tenth of Dhul-Hijjah, then they are supposed to perform certain rituals. On the tenth day of Dhul-Hijjah, the third day of Hajj, the pilgrims are to perform certain rituals. What do they do when they come to Mina? Does anyone know? What rituals do they have to perform? Yes. Go for the Rami, the throwing of the stones. Yes. Yes, the nusuk, the offering of the sacrifice, and one more, the cutting of the hair or the shaving of the hair. So these three rituals, the pilgrims are to perform when? On the 10th of the hijjah And they're also supposed to go for the tawaf as well as the sa'i. So basically five rituals. Tawaf as well as the sa'i. Now, after performing all of these rituals, then the pilgrims are to stay in Minna for the following three days. Okay, so the remaining three days, they are to remain where? In Minna. And these three days, which are the 11th, 12th, and 13th of Dhul-Hijjah, these three days are known as al-Yamut Tashriq. What are they known as? ut Tashriq. So, فَإِذَا مَنَاسِكَكُمْ When you have performed your rituals. Which rituals? The rituals of the tenth day. The five rituals that I just mentioned. For the remaining days in Mina, what are the pilgrims supposed to do? Allah says, فَاذْكُرُوا Then remember Allah. Now, because after those rituals, basically the pilgrims, they come out of the state of ihram. And it's known as tahallul awwal. And after all of the rituals, they come out of the state of ihram completely. But just because you're out of the state of ihram, it doesn't mean that you go back to your worldly things. No, you're still supposed to stay in Minna for the remaining three days. And at that time, you are going to remember Allah. fatkurullah. The word Qabaytum is from the Hebrew letters. qaf From the word qaba which means to decree, but it also means to complete something. So when you have completed manasikakum, and manasik is the plural of mansak or mansik, and it's used for rituals, so it's referring to the rituals that the pilgrims are to perform on the tenth day of the hijjah So when you have performed all of them, اللَّهَ then you should remember Allah. Why? Because Hajj is performed for the remembrance of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Any act of worship. Why does a person perform that? In order to remember Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Musa alayhi salam, And establish the prayer for my remembrance. Meaning, perform the salah so that you can remember me. Likewise, we see that the recitation of the Qur'an, that is also what? Remembrance of Allah. When a person seeks forgiveness from Allah, what is that? Remembrance of Allah. Likewise, when a person is praying salah, that is also remembrance of Allah. In fact, every act of worship, whether it is tawaf, or it is sa'i, or it is rami, any act of worship, that is a part of the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for the remaining days, Fadhkurullaha. And this is the reason why for the remaining days in the ayam Tashriq, the pilgrims, they don't just remember Allah by saying, Allahu akbar, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, astaghfirullah. No. They also perform tawaf, sa'i. They also perform the rami. Okay? So they perform all of these rituals and all of them are included in the dhikr of Allah. Fadhkurullaha. And in a hadith we learned that the Prophet ﷺ said, there's a hadith from Sahih Muslim, that ut ayam wa shurb wa ta'ala. That the days of tashriq, they are the days for eating and drinking and they are the days for remembering Allah as well. Meaning on these days the pilgrims they don't fast. Okay, At Mina they're supposed to eat and drink It doesn't mean they're supposed to waste the food No, they're supposed to eat and drink Be grateful And at the same time also remember Allah سَفَذْكُرُوا so, اللَّهُ Remember Allah كَذِكْرِكُمْ Like you remember Just as you remember أَبَاءَكُمْ Your forefathers أَوْ أَشَدَّ ذِكْرًا Or even more intense In remembering Allah a أَبَاءَكُمْ أَوْ أَشْدَّ ذِكْرًا أَشْد from the root letters شِينْ dal dal. That when you're at mina, then remember Allah as much as you remember your forefathers in fact remember Allah even more and remember Allah even more intensely more than what? You're remembering your forefathers more intensely than you remembered your forefathers The mushrikeen what they would do after performing all of the rituals of Hajj when they would be at Mina, is that they would get together and they would talk about their ancestors. They would praise their ancestors. Because in Arabia, you know that people, they held on to their tribes and they were very proud of their lineages, of their ancestors. So if a person wanted to show his greatness, Whose greatness would he show? The greatness of his ancestors, of his tribe. So, you can imagine, so many people are together, obviously they're going to sit together, they're going to talk. So, when they would sit together in their gatherings, who would they remember and mention? Their ancestors. That my great grandfather did such and such great virtuous deed. My great grandfather, he was a lion. You know, he was so brave and he was this and he was that, he was so generous and he would help the needy and he would feed the poor and he would host guests, he was very hospitable. So, they would praise their ancestors, and in particular, they would also say verses of poetry in praise of their ancestors. And this is known as mufakhara. Mufakhara is from faqr, and faqr is to boast. So, basically, they would have these gatherings in which they would boast. They would show off. What would they show off? The greatness of their ancestors. And once this happened, that the Prophet ﷺ, in Medina, he was in his home, and some of the Bedouins, they came to Medina, and they started calling out the Prophet ﷺ. "O oh Muhammad, come out. Oh Muhammad, come. They were calling out from outside his house. Come out, come out. And why were they calling him? Because they wanted to do مفاخرة that we're going to show you how great we are by telling you about the greatness of our ancestors. So this was a practice amongst the Arabs. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the people that when you sit together at Hajj, you performed all of your rituals. Now don't go on talking about your ancestors. You should talk about who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the reason behind mentioning their ancestors was to show how great they were, to show their own greatness. But the fact is that at Hajj, what is a person showing? The greatness of Allah. Why is a person there? To show the greatness of Allah, not to show his own greatness. At Hajj, we all become humble, we show humility. When every person, despite his financial status, despite what he is at home, at Hajj, he is equal. He is same as the person standing next to him. When all people are standing at Arafat, at Muzdalifah, everyone has to sleep in open. So all of these rituals, they really remind you of your reality and the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that all people, we are nothing and only Allah is greatest. So at that time after performing all of the rituals, then fadkurullah. remember Allah. Just as you used to remember your forefathers, but in fact when you remember Allah it should be Ashaddha Dhikrā. Ashaddha in two ways. Intense in two ways. First of all, in quantity. So Dhikrān Kathīrān. More than you used to remember your forefathers. You sat you know, in majalis and you remembered your forefathers. Now you should remember Allah in majalis, in gatherings, as well as when you're sitting privately, in the morning, in the night, throughout your stay at Mina. you should be remembering Allah. So more in quantity. And secondly, ashad in what way? That it should be more qawi, more strong. More strong how? That with your heart, more present. That when you're remembering Allah with more sincerity, with more love, with more dedication than you remembered your forefathers. And this is a general rule that when a person does something good, then upon its completion, he should remember Allah even more. So after performing all of the rituals, what should you do? Remember Allah. You know, we think, okay, we just prayed Salah, we were fasting in the month of Ramadan, we were praying last night, now let me take a break. We think, okay, now in the month of Ramadan, we're standing in prayer, we're praying tahajjud, we're praying qiyam, we're gonna be reciting the Quran, now again we're gonna do this when? Next Ramadan. We take such a long break in the middle. But the fact is that immediately after performing something good, we should busy ourselves in the dhikr of Allah. Why? Because Allah says, فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ فَانْصَبْ That when you become free, then get busy again. Meaning when you are done with one good thing, then start another good thing. Why? Because when you're sitting idle, when you're not remembering Allah, then what's going to happen? Who's going to come and sit in your company? Shaytan and he is going to overpower you. Because as long as a person is remembering Allah, shaitan stays away. And the moment a person forgets Allah, then shaitan comes and he busies the person in disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And also, remember Allah afterwards out of gratitude, that Ya Allah, You gave us tawfiq to do this good thing. And this is the reason why we see that after the entire month of fasting on the day of Eid, what do the people do? Remember Allah. We learned earlier, walitu اللَّهَ عَلَى مَا هَدَاكُمْ دُو Magnify Allah. Mention His greatness. Likewise, we see that after Salatul Jumu'ah, when people gather together for the Jumu'ah prayers on Friday, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that فَإِذَا قُضِيَتَ الصَلَاتُ فَانتَشِرُوا فِي الْأَغْضِ وَابْتَغُوا مِنْ فَضْلِ اللَّهِ wa اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا that after the salah is over, then you go and busy yourselves in your daily routines, but also remember Allah. Fadhkurullah. So, likewise, after Hajj, after performing all of the rituals, Fadhkurullah kadhkrikum aba'akum aw ashadda dhikra. And one more thing that I would like to explain to you over here is that Allah is telling all of the pilgrims to engage in what? In the dhikr of Allah. And like I mentioned earlier, dhikr does not just mean saying SubhanAllah, Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar. But it also includes what? What does include? Tawaf, and Sa'i, and Rami. All of these acts of worship are included in that. As well as the recitation of the Qur'an. Now, remember that when Aisha, when she went with the Prophet to perform hajj, she started her period. Meaning she started her menstrual cycle and she was extremely upset so she was crying because she felt that she could not continue her hajj. So the Prophet said, do everything that the pilgrims do except for tawaf. So everything that the pilgrims do is what? Dhikr of Allah. Right? And part of that is also recitation of the Quran. So the Prophet told her, do whatever the rest of the pilgrims do Except for tawaf. The only thing that he stopped her from was tawaf. That's it. Everything else she was required to do. Even though she was having a period. Obviously, salah, that's understood that a menstruating woman does not pray. But everything else she was required to do. So what does it show? That even when a woman is having her period, she may remember Allah. And the remembrance of Allah includes recitation of the Qur'an. This is the evidence. Because Allah says, فَذْكُرُ Remember Allah. كَذِكْرِكُمْ أَبَائِكُمْ أَوْ أَشَدَّ dhikra. And the dhikr of Allah includes du'a, includes asking Allah, making du'a to Allah. So at hajj, obviously people go with a list of du'as. Sometimes people write all of those prayers down so that they don't forget any du'a. And they ask other people, you want me to make any special du'as for you? I remember when I was going for hajj, this friend of mine, she went to all of my friends with a notebook, and she said, any du'as you want, write them down on this notebook. And as I was leaving, she gave me a whole notebook. I was like, okay, do I make du'a for other people or for myself? So anyway, when people go for hajj, they make a lot of du'a. Now, what kind of du'as do people make at hajj? People make du'a for? Hmm? Okay, think about right now in Ramadan. What kind of du'as are we making? We're making du'a for? What are you making du'a for? Does anyone want to share? Yes? Okay, that we want to be saved from hellfire. Yes. Taqwa of Allah. Forgiveness. What else? So that we are firm on our salah. Tawfiq to pray properly. Yes? That Allah accepts our fasts, our good deeds, and rewards us abundantly for them. What else are we making du'a for? Yes? Okay, for the protection of the rest of the Muslims. But what about like money, and you know, like a happy family, and good health, and beauty, and clothes, and you know, whatever the things that we like. We make du'as for these things as well, right? No? You should. You should. Because... We see that the hadith of the Prophet the guidance of the Prophet that he gave is that ask Allah for everything and anything that you want, that you need. And this is why we see that the Salaf, if their shoelace even broke, they would ask who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If our shoelace breaks, we're like, never buying these shoes again. We just get frustrated, we show anger. Right? But we see that their attitude was that they would ask Allah for everything. Even the smallest of things that they would need. This is why they were so calm. This is why they were able to have patience. This is why they were relaxed people. This is why there was no stress that existed at that time. And these days, for every illness, for every disease, what's the reason? Stress. Because people don't turn to Allah. They don't ask Allah. This is the reason why we have stress in our lives. Anyway, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the kind of du'as that people make at hajj. فَمِنَ النَّاسِ So among the people, مَن is the one who says. What does he say in his dhikr in his du'a? That رَبَّنَا O our Lord, آتِنَا You give us. From the root letters, Hamza You give us fiddunya in the world. And that's it. He makes du'a that, O oh Allah, give us in this world. رَبَّنَا Atina في he is making du'a for only worldly things, only worldly benefits. Things that he wants in this life. And that's all he's asking for. رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا That's it. Meaning, he's not asking for deen. He's not asking for akhirah. He's only asking for dunya. And this could be quite literally that this is the only du'a he makes. O Allah, I want a nice car, I want a nice house, you know, fix my problems for me please, I want a perfect spouse, I want perfect children, I want, you know, success in my school, I want success at work, I want to become a millionaire, I want to become this, I want to become that. So, making dua for worldly things only. Quite literally. And this could be understood another way as well. That he makes dua for dunya and for akhirah. but when he's making dua for akhirah, Ya Allah give me jannah. That's it. He can't think beyond asking for Jannah because that's what he was taught when he was a child. And that's it. He can't think of, you know, Oh Allah, give me taqwa. Oh Allah, make me patient. Oh Allah, you know, accept my good deeds. Oh Allah, give me tawfiq to do more. Oh Allah, save me from the punishment of the grave. Oh Allah, give me my book in my right hand. Oh Allah, make my akhirah my day of judgment easy. No, he doesn't think anything like that. All he asks for is just plain simple things. Ya Allah, give me Jannah. That's it. Because his mind does not think that way. But when it comes to asking for dunya then he's begging Ya Allah please, please give me a car Ya Allah please make me successful in this Ya Allah please make my children good people That's it, that's all he's asking for When it comes to dunya His mind works really well But when it comes to akhira It says that the brain shuts down He doesn't know what to ask for Rabbana atina fid dunya Rabbana atina fid dunya That's it with regards to such a person, Allah says, وَمَا And not for him, fil الْآخِرَةِ In the hereafter, min khalaq Any share. خَلَاقْ From the root letters, khala قَافْ And it's used for a major portion of something, a part of something. So such a person will have no share in the hereafter. Why? Because he's not praying for the Akhirah. He's not asking Allah for the Akhirah. All he's asking for is this dunya. And it's up to Allah if He wants to give him the dunya or not. You know, when we ask Allah for dunya, when we want dunya, it's not necessary that we get it. It's not necessary. It's up to Allah to give whatever He wants. So, وَمَانَهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنْ خَلَاقٍ If you think about it, the dua that we make to Allah, the prayers that we make, the things that we ask for, this is basically a reflection of our inner state. It reflects what we like, what we don't like. Our du'as, they reflect what our priorities are. Our du'as, they reflect what we want to achieve, what we find important. Because whatever you find important, whatever is your priority, you're going to ask for it. Right? And whatever you don't care about, whatever is not important to you, are you going to ask for it? No. No. You're not going to. So when a person asks for dunya only, what does it show? That his love, his concern, his worry, is what? Only dunya. That is all that he's concerned about. He's not concerned about the akhirah. This is why he's making prayers for dunya only. With regards to such a person, Allah says, وَمَا لَهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنْ خَلَاقٍ Imagine, this person goes for hajj. He's performing all the rituals. And then when he asks Allah, he doesn't ask for forgiveness, he doesn't ask for jannah, he asks for dunya. So for him, no share in the hereafter. On the other hand, وَمِنْهُمْ And among them, مَنْ is he who says, "Rabbana, O our Lord, Atina You give us فِي الدُّنْيَا in the world. But he doesn't just ask for stuff in the world, whatever he wants. But in particular, he wants what in the world? Hasanatan, Good. Oh, our Lord, give us good in this world. Hasanah. How is this dua different from the previous one? In the previous one, rabbana Atina فِي dunya. Oh, Allah, give us in this world. I want that car, whether or not it's good for me. I want that job, whether or not it's good for me. I want that person in my life, whether or not he or she is good for me. No, he just wants that particular thing. But this person, the second one, he is saying, Oh Allah, give me in this world that which is good. hasana From حَاسِنُون That which is good, meaning good for me. Because it's quite possible that we want something, but it's not good for us. Right? It's quite possible, we want something in our lives, but it's not good for us. So whenever we make dua to Allah, what should we say? Oh Allah, give me this if it's good for me. Grant me this if it's good for me. So for example, when you're praying istikhara, what do you say? Oh Allah, decree this for me if it's good for me. If you know that it's good for me, for my deen, for my dunya, for my akhara, then decree it for me, make it easy for me. And if it's not good for me, then turn it away from me. And turn me away from it. And instead give me something better. And then make me pleased with it. So, he says, Rabbana atina فِي dunya hasana. What is hasana in this world, in this life? Hasana, good things in this life can refer to material things that are of benefit to people. And not just material things, but also. Other blessings such as guidance, such as good deeds. So رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا hasana. Give us that which is good for us. Because there is nothing wrong in asking Allah for dunya. But it should be good for us, right? So that it doesn't become a trial for us. It doesn't become a means of misguidance for us. And we know that Musa alayhi salam, when he was lost, he didn't know where to go, what to do. What dua did he make? That, rabbī إِنِّي لِمَا أَنزَلْتَ إِلَيَّ مِنْ خَيْرٍ فَقِيرٍ Oh Allah, oh my Lord, anything good that you sent to me, I am needy of it. Meaning, I want anything good that you can give me. I'm that desperate, I'm that needy. Anything good. So whatever we ask Allah for, what do we want? We want that which is good for us. Because it happens sometimes that people get a lot of this world, but that same dunya, that same wealth becomes a big trial for them. A big trial for them. Once a man came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Make du'a for me, that Allah increases my wealth for me. And the Prophet ﷺ did. And that man, he had so much wealth, he had so many animals and everything. And he said that, When I have a lot, I will give in charity. It's mentioned in Surah al He said, I will give in charity and I'll become very righteous, and so on and so forth. But when he had so much wealth, he couldn't manage it in Medina. So he had to leave Medina. He went elsewhere. He got so busy, consumed in his wealth. He loved it so much that he was lost in it. And he forgot the promises that he made. So he asked for wealth, but that same wealth became a trial for him. Right? So رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حسنة. But their dua doesn't just end here; they continue. Wa fil hasana, and in the year after also hasana. We don't just want good in this world, but we also want good in the year after. We also want good in the hereafter, because there is no good in a person being extremely wealthy and successful in this world, but on the day of judgment he has nothing with him; he comes empty-handed. There is nothing good in that. What do we want? That if we are well off, if we are healthy, we are like that throughout our lives. Not just in one phase of our lives, but throughout our lives. So likewise, if we want good in this world, then we must want good in the hereafter. If we want to be wealthy in this world, then we also want to be wealthy in the hereafter. If we want to be saved from troubles, from difficulties in this life, we also want to be saved from difficulties in the next life. This is why, وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ hasana. Once in the night, the Prophet ﷺ woke up to perform the tahajjud prayer and he said subhanallah so many trials have descended on people tonight and he said wake up these women he was referring to his wives that wake them up so that they can also stand up and pray to Allah worship him because there are many who are clothed in this world but on the day of judgment they will be naked what does it mean? there are many people who are in this world and they have a lot but on that day they will have nothing Why? Because their focus was just the comfort, the luxury of this world. They didn't prepare for the Akhirah. So in the Akhirah, they'll come empty-handed, nothing. They'll be naked. They'll have nothing with them. Would you ever want that for yourself? That in one place, in one phase of your life, you have everything that you want, and in the next you have nothing? Would you ever like that for yourself? Never. Can you even imagine that those of you who have phones, that you don't have a phone anymore? Can you ever imagine? Those of you who have houses, can you ever imagine that you don't have a house anymore? Those of you who have their own cars, can you imagine that you don't have a car anymore? Can you imagine? If you were ever in that state that you don't have your car anymore, how would you feel? Oh my God, what happened to me? I'm the poorest person in this world. I'm the most unfortunate person in this world. If you don't have your phone anymore, your phone lasts, you can't afford to have a phone, what would you think? I'm so poor. I'm so unfortunate. Then how can we think that it's okay that on the Day of Judgment we have nothing? No. We have to have good in the hereafter as well. رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةً وَفِي الْآخرة give us good in this world and also good in the hereafter. We don't want to be poor now, we don't want to be poor later. We don't want to be in trouble now and we don't want to be in trouble later. رَبَّنَا آتِنَا حَسَنَةً الْآخِرَةِ And what hasana in the hereafter? It includes anything good that a person could experience from the moment of death until he enters Jannah for eternity. Anything good. Whether it means that at the time of death, the angels of mercy come to take his ruh, to collect his soul. And as they take out the soul, they greet him. And they congratulate him. And they give him good news. And as he's taken into his grave, as he's tested, the trial of the grave comes, he's able to pass that test. He's able to pass that trial. He's able to give the answers to the angels when they ask him, مَنْ رَبُّكْ and then after that, the grave expands, so that it becomes a garden of paradise. A window to paradise opens for him in his grave. Hasan in the hereafter means that on the day of judgment, when the trumpet is blown and people are terrified, he is of those people who are aminun, who are saved, who are secure. Hasanah means that on the day of Hasyr, when people are drowning in their sweat. When they are full of fear, when they don't know what's going to happen, He is calm. He has with Him good deeds to protect Him, to cover Him. He has with Him angels who greet Him, who give Him good news. Hasana is that on the day of Hashr, on the day of Hisab, when a person is called for Hisab to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah reminds him of the sins that he committed. And then Allah says, I covered your sins for you in the world, and today I forgive them. Go enter Jannah. Hasana is that on the Day of Judgment when people are given their records, he has record in the right hand, so he says, هَا أُمُقْرَأُوا كِتَابِيَا He says, hey people, read my book. I'm entering paradise. Hasana is that he's called to Jannah. His name is pronounced, come you so and so enter Jannah. This gate has opened for you. This is Hasana. So رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنًا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ don't deprive us of good in the hereafter. And when we're making du'as in these days, in these nights, then we must beg Allah for the hasan of the hereafter as well. When you're making du'a for success, don't just think, Ya yeah, Allah, give me Jannah, save me from hellfire. Ask Allah for every step of the way that oh Allah give me good at every step. في Hasana wa وفي الآخرة hasana and most importantly, Hassan and the hereafter is, that when people are in Jannah, and Allah will call them, and Allah will ask them, what do you want? And they will say, Oh Allah, we have everything. You've given us everything that we could ever want it. What more could we desire? What more could we want? We cannot desire anything more. You have fulfilled our desires to the maximum, our wishes to max. And Allah will say, that I bestow on you my ridwan, my happiness, so that I will never ever be upset with you again. This is what hasana is. That Allah will show Himself to them. They will see Allah. This is hasanah. Allah says, لِلَّذِينَ أَحْسَنُوا For those people who do ihsan, for them is al Husna the very best reward, the most excellent reward, and not just reward, وَزِيَادَ And also extra, increased, more reward. And what is that? That they will see Allah. They will see their Lord. And as they will see Allah, they will become even more happy, more beautiful and that Allah will be happy with them, so that never again after that will they have the anger of Allah. Meaning Allah will forever be pleased with them. So, رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةً وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنَةً وَقِنَا And save us. وَأَنْ قِي قِي is from the root letter as well, قَافِيَةً Same root as taqwa. قِي You save. نَا us Oh Allah, You save us from what? From عَدَابَ nar From the punishment of the hellfire. Don't let us suffer the punishment of hellfire for even a moment. Because true success is not just that a person enters paradise. True success is that a person is saved from the fire of hell and he is admitted into Jannah. Because many will enter paradise, but some will enter paradise after having suffered punishment in the hellfire. After having suffered punishment in the hellfire. Then they will enter Jannah. And the hellfire is a place that you don't even want to see. You don't even want to look at. You know, sometimes if you see a very disturbing image, just a picture of someone who is dead, maybe, of someone who is being tortured, perhaps, you can't get over that image. It takes the pleasure away from you. You can't eat, you can't drink, you can't sleep, you can't have fun, you're disturbed. Imagine being in that position, being that person who is in the picture, who has been tortured, who has been hurt by others. Imagine. So we don't want to even look at hellfire, forget suffering punishment in the hellfire. So, وَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ Oh Allah, save us from the punishment of hellfire. Don't take us there, please. We know we are very guilty. We know we have committed many sins. We are at fault. And if you decide that you put us in hellfire, you have the liberty to do so, you have the authority to do so. And if you make that decision, you would be right, you will be just. But oh Allah, forgive us, for you are the most forgiving. So, waqina عَذَابَ Save us from the punishment of hellfire as well. Don't let us go there. In the Qur'an we learn, فَمَنْ زُحْزِحَ عَنِ النَّارِ وَأُدْخِلَ الْجَنَّةَ فَقَدْ فَازِ That whoever is saved from the hellfire, and he's admitted into paradise, that person is successful. He is truly successful. And sometimes people think, yeah, what's the big deal? I mean, you suffer, and then eventually you go to paradise, so eventually the result is good. But a few moments in hellfire are also very terrifying, also very painful. Because Hellfire is not an ordinary place. It's a place that is full of pain, full of torture, full of punishment, full of retribution. It's not easy at all. Once one of the scholars was asked that we learn from the Qur'an and Sunnah that some people will be sent to Hellfire first and then they'll be sent to Jannah. So how long will they be in Hellfire? How long? So that scholar, he was a master, a specialist of Tafsir, he said that the only thing that I can think of from the Quran and from the Sunnah that tells us about the shortest time spent in hellfire is what we learn in Surah al naba Labithina fiha ahqaba. Labithina fiha ahqaba. And what is ahqaba? Centuries. Ahqaba. That's the shortest amount of time spent in hellfire that we learn from the Qur'an and Sunnah. Shortest. Imagine. It's not about a day or two. It's not about a minute or two. Have you ever had your hand burnt? How long does it take for your hand to get burnt? A second sometimes? This morning, turned the kettle on and my son touched the kettle from the outside and his hand got burnt. His finger, just the tip of his finger. And he was crying so much. And I was thinking, how long did it take for his hand, for his finger to get burnt? Probably just a second or two. Because as soon as, you know, our hand or something gets burnt, we have this reflex action because of which we pull away immediately. A second of burning leaves you in agony for hours, for days. Then what are we thinking? That it's okay if we go to hellfire for a few days and that's it? That's fine, no big deal. It's a very big deal. So we have to ask Allah for good in this world, for good in the hereafter, and especially that may Allah protect us from the hellfire. That we don't even go near it, we don't even go close to it. Let's listen to the recitation of these verses.
1: فإذا قضيتم مناسككم فذكر الله كذكركم آباءكم أو أشد الإكرام فمن الناس من يقول ربنا آتنا في الدنيا وما له في الآخرة من خلاق وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَقُولُ رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةً وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنَةً وَقِنَا عذابا
0: So we need to reflect on ourselves, what do we ask Allah for? What are we making dua for? Do our duas include these three things? فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةً وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنَةً وَقِنَا عذاب النار. These three things should be a major part of our prayers. Because with regards to such people, Allah says, Those are the ones who make this dua. Who ask Allah for good in this world, in the hereafter, and also for protection against the hellfire. Such people, lahum for them, nasibun, a portion, from the root letters, noon ba. They will have a share of what? Mimma kasabu, of what they have earned. Mimma. This is a combination of min and ma. And kasabu, kafsin ba. Kasaba, to earn, to acquire something. So they will have a share from what they have earned. Meaning, these are the ones who perform righteous deeds and they also make dua to Allah. So such people, they will have a share of what they have earned, meaning their du'as will be accepted insha'Allah, and Allah will also give them the good reward. أُولَٰئِكَ lahum نَصِيبُ mimma kasabu They will get something in this dunya and in the hereafter. So this shows that to have our du'as accepted have our du'as accepted, what do we have to do? We also have to do mimma kasabu. We also have to do righteous actions. To get something good in this world and the hereafter, we can't just rely on hopes, on wishes. We have to do something good and we also have to ask for it. Because some people, either they do nothing and they think whatever is decreed for me will happen. Or they only focus on doing good and they don't ask Allah for anything or they only keep asking and they don't do anything good what do we see here doing good and making dua doing good and making dua so such people will have of what they have earned mimma kasabu wallahu sari'ul hisab and allah is swift in taking the account sari' from the root letters seen ra from the word sur'ah and sur'ah is to be quick in doing something to not delay, to not take too long, to not procrastinate. This is what surah is. So Allah is sariyyah, He is very quick in what? In al-hisab. Hisab from the root letters, hasin ba, to take account, to call to account, to give what the person deserves, to check his deeds and to see what he deserves, what he does not deserve, and to give that. So Allah is very quick in taking the account. What does it mean by this? This is understood in two ways. That Allah is very swift in taking the account, meaning that the account will be taken very soon. The account of deeds will be taken very soon. People will be recompensed for their deeds very soon. What do we think? Yeah, when we die, and then when the day of judgment comes, then we'll be called to account, and then we'll be given what we deserve. But the fact is that even in dunya, Allah gives people what they deserve. Even in dunya. Which is why we see that if a person does something good, and he makes dua to Allah, then Allah will give him hasana in the dunya only. All the hasana is not to save for the akhirah, but that person is given hasana in the dunya as well. So the time of hisab is not too far away, in other words don't think that it's thousands and thousands of years away no Allah is very quick in taking the account and even if you think that yes the day of judgment that is when people will be given their account fully even that's not too far because when a person dies when a person dies then his qiyamah has started it has begun his hereafter has begun and how when do you think you're gonna die you don't know you could die within moments, you could die within minutes, you could die within hours, you could die within days, within weeks, within months, within years. Because the countdown has begun, right? And once the countdown has begun, then the time that is left is very, very short. In the Qur'an Allah says, yudrika la sa'a What can tell you perhaps that the sa'a, the hour is very, very close. It's not too far away. So, wallahu sari'ul hisab we will get the recompense for our deeds very soon. Not too far. It's not going to take very long. Secondly, وَاللَّهُ al-Hisab. What this means is that when Allah starts the Hisab, He is very quick. You know, sometimes you wonder that we are going to be held accountable for everything that we have done. If you start listing the deeds that you have done, how long do you think it will take you? probably the rest of your life even more. Right? That's what we think. And really that is our ability. If we start listing every single thing that we have done, whether it is eating something, how many bites we took, how many sips we took, what we ate, where it came from, how we acquired it, how we're talking to somebody, the words that we're saying and the manner that we're saying, it would take us ages. But Allah, He will take the hisab of all the people when he starts the hisab on the day of judgment, you know how long it will take? You know how long it will take? Just a few hours. You know like from morning until the whole time? That's it. Just a part of the day. This is how quick Allah is in taking the account. And what's the point of saying this? What's the point of mentioning this? That don't think that some of your deeds will be neglected that you will not be held accountable for some things. No, Allah is very quick. Don't think you will leave things out because it's taking too long. No, Allah is sari' in al Hisab. And the hisab that Allah will take of people, it is of two types. One is the Hisab that Allah will take of the believers, and the other Hisab is of those who disobey Allah, those who reject Him those who don't obey him, those who disregard his commandments, who don't give importance to him. With regards to the believers, Allah will draw close a believer to himself. So that no one can hear the conversation. No one can hear what Allah is saying to the person and what the person is saying. And Allah will ask that person. First of all, Allah will remind him, I gave you this and this and this, all of these blessings. And then remember, on such and such day, you did such and such. Remember on that day you lied? And on that day you said something so harsh to a person? And on that day you delayed your prayers? And on that day you didn't read Quran at all? And on that day you did khiyana? And on that day you mocked at someone? You made someone feel horrible about themselves? So Allah will remind the person of the sins that he has committed. Now imagine, if you were in that position, what would you think? That's it, I'm done. Because if we are reminded of the mistakes that we have made, honestly, how many are they? How many are they? So much, so many. Even when we think about our sins, our mistakes, we are embarrassed. How could I say that? How could I do that? What was I thinking? How dumb could I be? Didn't I remember the angels were writing? They were recording? Allah is watching. What was I thinking when I did that, when I said that? So, a person will be reminded of the sins that he has committed, and he will think that that's it, I am doomed, I'm on my way to hellfire. And Allah will say to him, Qad satartuha laka fiddunya, laka That all these sins, I concealed them for you in the world. So, when you did them, people had no idea. I concealed your sins. And today, I forgive them for you. Today I forgive them for you. And that person will be entered into Jannah. But if a person is asked, why did you do that? Why didn't you recite the Qur'an that day? Why didn't you make du'a? All the people were standing in prayer and you didn't go pray? Why did you say such and such? Why did you do such and such? If a person is interrogated, manuqisha Then he will be punished. Because if Allah asks us, Why did you do that? Why did you not do that? What answer do we have? Is there any justification for any sin? There is no justification. No justification whatsoever. So عضيبة, the one who will be questioned who will be interrogated he will be punished So Allahu al hisab Allah is very quick in taking the account Every deed will be examined So be careful Wallahu al hisab
1: recitation
0: So, in summary, in these verses, what do we learn? What are your thoughts? Yes. Yes. That to go to Jannah, we have to work hard. These verses are basically about Hajj, and Hajj is not easy, it's very difficult. All of you must have seen people who go to hajj, when they come back, they are sick. Right? Physically sick. They're exhausted. Their color has changed. Right? They come back with infections. I mean, they come sick because hajj is not easy at all. You can say one of the most difficult acts of worship, and with regards to that, Allah says, those who did hajj, those who remembered Allah, those who made dua for dunya, akhirah, and for being saved from the hellfire, they will have something. And Allah is sadeer in hisab. So jannah is not cheap. We have to put in our effort. We have to seek it through our efforts, and we also have to beg for it from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Any other thoughts? That, أُولَٰئِكَ lahum نَصِيبُ مِمَّا kasabu. A person does limited deeds, but the reward that Allah gives, that is much more. That is multiplied many, many times. Like a person, because he has been sincere to Allah, because he has been striving throughout his life to please Allah. Yes, after all, he's a human being. He does make mistakes. He does fall short in one way or the other. But when Allah forgives him, he says, I forgive all of your sins for you. And then that person is entered into Jannah. So Allah is the one who is most generous he is the one who multiplies the reward for us. So if a person falls short, if a person does not end up in Jannah, whose fault is it? It is his own fault. Uh, having a balance of deeds uh, and also like Allah and the Akhara as
1: well as the
0: dunya. Yeah. That we need to have that balance that sometimes it happens that a person, if he finds something of the dunya important, he forgets the Akhirah completely and if he wants the akhirah, then he forgets the dunya completely. The thing is that there must be a balance. Allah has not forbidden this dunya on us. Allah has not said that we must not enjoy this world at all. We must not strive to be successful in this world. No, we have to strive to be successful here as well as the hereafter. This is why we see that the Prophet wasallam, he wasn't a boring person. No. He was a very lively person. He was a very social person. But at the same time, he worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. He wore clothes that were very expensive. He wore clothes that looked very good on him. He got married. He had children. He celebrated. He wept. He was happy. He played. He ran with his wife once on an occasion. He enjoyed Eid. And we see that he was also very successful in whatever he did. So there must be that balance in what we want to achieve in this world and the hereafter. But definitely the priority is the Akhirah. Because what we enjoy in this world, the success that we enjoy, that should actually be leading us to success in the hereafter. وَذْكُرُ الله, And remember Allah, فِي al ma'dudat In the numbered days. And this is referring to the ayam al-tashriq. But remember Allah fi ayam and ma'dudat. Ayam is a plural of Yaun, Mardudat, plural of Ma'dudah, few. عدد, number, meaning those that are numbered, those that are very few, limited. With regard to the month of Ramadan also, Allah says, Ayamu Ma'dudat. And with regard to Hajj also, Ayamu Ma'dudat. A few days. Because when you realize there are only a few days Then you take advantage of every single moment Every single moment If you go to a friend's house for a few days Then you know that you are there only for three days You are not going to spend those three days sleeping and watching television No You are going to end up spending that time with her Doing stuff with her, going out with her so, وَذْكُرُ اللَّهَ فِي أَيَّامٍ It gives you the sense of urgency that it's only a few days, so do something. And what should you do? Remember Allah. وَذْكُرُ اللَّهَ فِي أَيَّامٍ And this is at? mina. فَمَن تَعَجْلَ Then whoever hastened, عِنْ And ujla is to hurry, to hasten, to be quick in doing something. So, whoever hastened, Fi يَوْمَيْنِ In two days. yawmayn is a dual of يوم. Whoever hastened in two days, فَلَا Isma عَلَيْهِ Then there is no sin on him. وَمَن تأخرا, And whoever delayed, تَأَخَرَ Khara تَأْخِير To delay, تَأَخُر To lag behind. So whoever stayed behind until the third day, then again, fala isma alayhi. then there is no sin on him. But what's the condition? Lima it for the one who has taqwa. For the one who feared Allah. What is this referring to? As you know that at Mina, after performing all of the rituals, the Hajjaj, the pilgrims, they stay for three more days, and these days are which ones? A Yamut Tashriq. Okay? But we see here that people have the option. They may stay for two days and they may stay for three days. There is no sin on a person if he says, I can only stay for two days. Now I have to go back and pack up so that I can leave. And there is no blame on a person if he stays for all those three days. But it cannot be less than two days. It cannot be more than three days a person cannot stay for just one day in Minna and say that's it I'm going back no he has to stay for a minimum of two days likewise a person cannot say after three days that you know what I love Minna, I love this place so I want to stay here and you know let all the people go so that I can worship Allah in peace you know all these people so much crowd I can't focus let them go and I'll be more righteous and I'll stay here for an extra two days so he stays four or five days this is not allowed. What are the two options? Either stay in minah for two days or three days. And there's no sin on a person if he stays for two. There's no sin on him. So he shouldn't feel guilty when he's leaving. But what's the condition? لِمَنِ taqa. تَقْوَ is the condition. If you leave after two days, you should have taqwa in the heart. If you leave after three days, you should have taqwa in the heart. Meaning a person should not leave after two days saying, you know what, I've had enough, that's it, forget it, I'm going. Likewise, after three days, a person should not think, yeah, I'm so righteous, look at all these people, they left after two days, I'm staying for three. No. A person must have fear of Allah. As long as a person has the fear of Allah, then there's no sin on him. And fear Allah. وَاعْلَمُ and you should know that أنَّكُم إلَيَهِ تُحْشَرُونَ that indeed you all to Him you are going to return. You will be gathered. تُحْشَرُونَ is from حَشُرْ Hashin Ra. and حَشُرْ is to gather, to gather in one place, to gather things or people that were spread out into one place. So all of us, we are scattered throughout the different ages, throughout the different places on this planet. But on the Day of Judgment, what's going to happen? Allah will gather all of us together in the plane of hashr. In the plane of hashr. And notice how Allah says, fear Allah and know that you will all be gathered to Him, meaning you will all be brought back to Him. Because this is the big lesson of hajj. That people... Some who live in North America, some who live in Europe, some who live in Australia, others who live in Africa. People from all over the world, they come for Hajj. They are gathered together from different places to a single place. And over there, what do you see? People who are wearing white sheets. When we die, what will we be wearing? Sheets. When we are put in our graves... What will we be put in? In our coffin, which is what? Plain white sheets. At Hajj, all people, they are thirsty, they are hungry, they are tired. Likewise, on the Day of Judgment, people will be the same. Exhausted. Tired. Because of the great length of the Day of Judgment. Because of the hardships of the Day of Judgment. Likewise, we see that in hajj, people are begging Allah for forgiveness, crying, asking Him. And on the Day of Judgment, same thing will happen. At hajj, you see with the difficulty, some are patient, some are calm, and others, they're panicking, they're freaking out. And on the Day of Judgment, same thing. People will be calm, and others will be terrified. Likewise, we see that at hajj, no matter how wealthy people are back home, They are with their limited belongings. Limited belongings. On the day of judgment, people will come empty-handed with none of their belongings of this world. The only thing they will have is their deeds. At Hajj, at Muzdalifah, all people lie down on the ground and they sleep over there in the open. And honestly, if you wake up in the night when everybody is sleeping, you feel as though you are surrounded by dead people. Really, it feels like that. It's almost scary. In that darkness, all you see is white sheets on the ground, and you feel as if this is a, you know, a graveyard or something, or a morgue or something where people are, you know, their bodies are just lying. So wa'alamu annakum ilayhi تَحْشَرُونَ Hajj reminds us of the Day of Judgment reminds us that all of us are going back to our Lord so we should worry about it then what are we taking with us what are we preparing for that meeting how ready are we for that
1: meeting recitation <laughs> Ismar alayhi waman taakwa fala ismae Limani Taka wa taqullaha wa lamu annakum ilayhi to shar.
0: If you look at this lesson, the word taqwa has been mentioned so many times in so many different ways. Correct? Open up your mushaf Look at these verses and just look for the word taqwa. You'll find it so many times, in so many places. If you just glance at these verses, you'll see the word taqwa several times. How many times do you see it? How many times have you seen it so far? Three? Four? I'm not saying the word taqwa, but, وَاتَّقُوا Such words. فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ التَّقْوَىٰ يَا So it's mentioned many times. What does that show to us? That hajj teaches us taqwa. Just as fasting teaches us taqwa, hajj must also teach us taqwa. Because when a person is performing a good deed, then he is engaged in the remembrance of Allah. And the more a person will remember Allah, the more careful he will be. The more conscious he will be of Allah. And that lesson will help him not just at that time, but for the rest of his life, inshaAllah.